0: the art of encouragement. First Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul and Silvanus, Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labour of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. As you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that we were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is Spread abroad, so that we not speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols, to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Powerful, isn't it? Marvelous. Fantastic. Let's pray. Father, will you speak, Lord, and mask my tones? Don't let anyone hear my voice, Lord, for my word means little. And I'm asking you, Father, to let them hear the word of the Lord, the voice of the Spirit. We ask you, Lord, to speak in accents clear and still to hearts and to minds to lives, to troubled beings, and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. Father, we love you and worship you. We love your Son. He's altogether lovely to us. We thank you for him. Now, we ask you, Father, glorify thine own self. And we ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. The Apostle Paul is writing... And it's around AD 51, it's reckoned that he writes this letter to the Thessalonians. Actually, he has been over to Thessalonica, or Thessalonica, depends what way you want to pronounce it. But he's over in Thessalonica, starts the church there, and after a period of time he moves and he finds himself, it's on his second, what's known as his second missionary journey. And he goes over to Corinth, And hearing in Corinth things that are happening in Thessalonica. Thessalonica, He's hearing about troubles. He's hearing about persecution. He's hearing about heartaches. He's hearing about people being put to death. He's hearing about those who are believing coming under severe pressure. Great storms, as it were, are filling the lives of the people in that church over there, and Paul decides, I'm not there, I'm not the Lord, I can't be there spiritually, as it were, to empower people, but I can write the letter to encourage them and to instruct them, to help them. So Paul sits down, he's actually writing in Corinth, sending or posting, as we would say, the letter to Thessalonica or Thessalonica. If you want to look with me to Acts chapter 17 for a brief moment, We want to show you how and when the church was formed by the Apostle Paul through the power of the Spirit. Acts chapter 17. He's on his missionary journey around that region. And verse 1 says, Now when they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul as his manner was went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. The word reasoned here was he he was talking and showing out of the scriptures the things concerning Christ. Now the scriptures that they had, and I've said it before, it wasn't Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, Acts, Romans and so on. It was the old Testament scriptures that they had. They were looking at the law and the prophets, the Pentateuch and the, uh, the first five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And they had those, they had the prophets and the Psalms and all the things concerning Christ. Paul goes in and says, let me show you. And he opens up the scroll, Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. And you can imagine Paul saying, who is this man? Who is this person who is a tender plant growing up before his father? Who is this person who is then uh, suffering in such such greatness for, uh, for the many? Who, who is this that's talking about suffering and he's speaking to Israel and he's saying, this is the Messiah, this is the Christ to come. And of course, Isaiah 53 was 750 years before Christ did come in the flesh. So Paul goes in and he starts to, to reason with them and Verse 3 says, opening and alleging. The word is, it's not an allegation. It means proving. Wasn't it, we would say, if someone did something allegedly because we don't know whether it was true or not. Paul wasn't saying he said it because he didn't know whether it was true or positive or not. Paul was proving to them. That's the word, that, what it means, to prove to them that Christ was the Son of God. And here we're told he opens the Scriptures he proves to them and he alleges to them that Christ must have look at the word, suffered and risen again from the dead, that this Jesus which I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul or joined with Paul and Silas of the devout Greeks or religious Greeks and a great multitude of the chief men, or chief women rather, not, and not a few. Paul now has seen the church form. Those who believe by faith through grace in our Lord Jesus Christ, they come out of Judaism. They come out of the system to worship Christ alone. See, brothers and sisters, this might shock some people if they hear this, but I believe there is nothing nor no one, no system nor religion, no denomination can save but the Lord Jesus Christ and Christ alone. What people would have us think sometimes there's a dual, a dual way. to salvation works in grace, or religion and grace, or philosophy and grace. You, they hear some preachers today, friend, it's through Christ and His shed blood alone, and receiving that by faith. So Paul here, he he, he is, he's laying down ground rules, and he leaves, and he sees or he hears that they are they are. Uh, under pressure, great pressure, tremendous pressure. Some of them are being put into prison. Some of them are, are, are being stoned. Some of them are, are maybe being hanged or beheaded. Some of them are being treated roughly and badly. Some are set to the outside of the communities because they're now a, a cult, a religious sect. So the church of Th- Thessalonica are being tried and going through great trials. And you know the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the church of God itself from the days of its birth as it were in the New Testament right up until today, whether it be through the Reformation or before that pagan Romanism or whether it be now around the world from communism or whatever system or Islam in other countries, there are persecuted church all around the world and Christians are being tried And persecuted for their faith. So the word that we have read this morning, I want to look at the background of it. And I'll tell you why. Because we can read the word and we can say it's a marvelous piece of scripture. But unless we know why it was written, the background of it, the history of it, the reason it was written, it might not apply to you. But once you do know the background and the reason, you're going to say, That speaks for me today. That speaks for my life. That speaks for what I'm going through. That speaks for what's happening in my life, my family. That speaks for what's happening in my heart, my thoughts. We see the word of the Lord endureth forever. And the word is known as, a, as the living word. It is a quick word. It, is, it means it is like a bubbling brook. It's always new. Remember a man one time, we were down near Drakara and he says to me, Just think. And he looked at the Boyne River. He says, King Billy walked in that water, walked across that water. And I looked at him, I says, He crossed this place, but he didn't walk in that water. That water's well gone many, many years ago. See, the water's different. The water's moved on. The water you drink today from your water tap or from a water bottle it's going to be refilled, there's going to be a different water. But it's still water. It still quenches the thirst. And the word of God is like that. It may have been for the Thessalonian believers, but that water refreshes the whole way down through the centuries to you this morning. So please don't say it's an old letter. It doesn't encourage us. It doesn't matter to us. See, there were zealous Jews, just like Saul, who became Paul, who wrote this, just like he was. Zealous Jews persecute him. There was... Uh, angry Greeks who didn't want their gods and their idols and their philosophies to be torn down by this great uh, this great story of this man Christ Jesus, and there were the Romans who then thought if if we worship if men and women bow down and worship Christ and they call him Lord, what they were really saying that is that he is in control and not Caesar and he is God. You see, what they had was the cult of Caesar, and the cult of Caesar was that Caesar was worshipped as God that Caesar was first in the life. But when people got truly saved, when people really came to know Christ, he became God in their life, off their life, and he became first in their life. And their life changed. Their life totally turned around. Their life changed completely. So Paul writes this for a reason. He writes it to tell them, look, I know what you're going through. I know the hurt that you have. I know the trials. I've been on both sides. I'm the one who persecuted and have become the persecuted. I've put people through trial and I have been in trial. Now here's the thing. Here's the difference, friend. We talk about sympathizing with people. And sympathizing is good for when one part of the body hurts, we should all hurt. And when one part of the body of Christ rejoices, we should all rejoice. Weep with them that do weep, and more, you know, mourn with them that do mourn, rejoice with them that, that mourn, or rejoice with them that do rejoice. So we, we are to enter in, but to be sympathetic, let me tell you what sympathy means. You may know, well, I know what sympathy means. Let me tell you what sympathy means. Sympathy really expresses a state of conformity of the tastes or someone's tastes and their inclinations. In other words, you can sympathize with someone's political view. You could sympathize with someone's thought on a certain subject. You can sympathize with someone's taste in something. You can sympathize to draw alongside them and, and to have a similar idea, a similar notion. It also means to feel with another. And when people are bereaving, we, we feel for them. Sympathy, we can feel for them. When people are, are hurting or weak in faith, we can feel for them, and so we should. That's right. But empathy is a totally different thing. And Paul was empathizing with the believers in Thessalonica. Let me tell you what empathy means. You say, well, I know what empathy means. It means to be able to enter into their sufferings, and it does. But let me just tell you what empathy really is. Because when you hear it fresh, you realize that that's exactly what it is. Empathy is the power to enter into another's personality. Notice that. Empathy is the power to enter into another's personality and imaginatively expressing their experiences with them. Now let me say it again. Empathy is the power to enter into another's personality and to imaginatively expressing their, his or her experiences with them. It is, in other words, the ability to partake in another's feelings. In other words, when someone is told they have cancer, we can sympathize when we haven't had cancer. We can sympathize, but let's not try and insult the person and say we know how you feel, because we don't. But we can sympathize and help and support. And the person who has cancer, when they go to a cancer unit with other people who have cancer, guess what? They find empathy among like-minded people. I know how you're feeling. This is how it hit me. That's empathy. Someone who has been steeped in alcohol... For someone who has never taken alcohol can sympathize but look at them and say, "Ah, well, they don't want help. But someone who has been steeped in alcohol and who has come through that experience and been, if you want, brought out of it, they can empathize with someone who is struggling with that. And they can say, no, I know what you're going through. And help them in it and bring them out of it. And so on. Someone who is really weak in faith. Someone who's going through a real great trial. Someone who has lost a mother or a father or or whatever. I've lost my mother. I can empathise with people who have lost their mother. I know what that's like. That's empathy. You're actually entering into their personality. And with your own imagination, as it were, your own experience, you're taking your experience and saying, I know how you feel. Empathy to enter into another's problem. And to enter another's suffering. This morning I want to look, and I want to show you why Paul has written this. Paul looks at the Thessalonian believers and he says, I know what you're going through. I know how you feel. I know the trials you have. I know the problems that's in the church. I know all of that because I've been there. In other words, you know, the old saying is, you know, don't judge a man until you've walked under his moccasins. Isn't that Right. Paul says, I've walked in your moccasins. Basically, that's what he's saying. I've wore the shoes. I've got the t-shirt, as we would say. I have I, I've worn that t-shirt. I've bought it, and I've worn it, and it's well worn out now. I know what you're thinking. I know your feelings. I know your problems. He says, now, he says, I want to tell you something. He says, God knows all about you greater than I do. That's what Paul's writing in First Thessalonians, especially in chapter 1 about so Paul is entering into their own personality, their own problems. Here's the thing, in our sufferings and in our agonies and in our trials, whether they be physical or spiritual or mental or whatever they may be, there's always someone who can help you and enter into that because they've been there before. Now there are people here this morning, and you're going through a terrible time, People here this morning and you're living with a certain experience. There's people here this morning and things have come upon you. And listen, I'm saying before I go any further, I have been through some dreadful experiences too. We all have. I'm not trying to say I've been through everybody's experience because I haven't. And those that I can empathize with, I'll enter in with you. And those that I can sympathize with, I'll come alongside of you. So I'm not trying to say I know everybody's, I can solve everyone's problem. But this is what I'm trying to say this morning. There are people here and they're heartbroken. There are people here and they're fretting. There's people here that have great Troubles in their life. There's people here and you know what's happening in your home or your family or in marriages, in certain circumstances and in situations. In, in your, in, you know yourself, without me trying to label a whole lot of things. There could be someone else beside you who can empathize with you. You know why we go through things? The Lord told Peter in Luke chapter 22... If you want to turn with it, turn to, we'll turn with it so as we, we we'll just read it together. Luke chapter 22. And let your eye run down to verse 31. Everybody that reads the scriptures knows this verse. Verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold. Notice, Simon, Luke, let me tell you. He catches his attention. Simon himself, sitting with his disciples, but he captures Simon's attention. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now, if you read that, In the Greek New Testament, he's speaking to them all. He's looking at Simon Peter, but he's speaking to the whole twelve. In other words, if the Lord came this morning, he would speak to you all as I'm speaking to the congregation, and he would say, but he could look at me speaking of you all. Simon, Simon, Simon. Behold, now look, Satan has desired to have you all, it reads. Every one of you. Satan has desired to have you all, that he may sift you as wheat. You see all those disciples? I'm going to go through something. Satan wants me. The actual idea is Satan has obtained you already by asking. Isn't that fearful? But... If he has to ask, it means our God is in control. If he has to ask and obtain a favor from God, God is using him as his instrument. God is using him as his monkey on the organ, as it were. And he says, Satan wants to have you all, not to sift you as chaff, though. No, no, to sift you as wheat. You know when you sift you put it all in the sieve, and they're sifted it, Or they'd have put it on the threshing floor and they beat the sheaves and the corn fell on the floor. What they'd done was they got a great fan and they waved the fan. And when they waved the fan, the wind gathered up and it blew all the chaff. blew, Blew all the stubble. Blew all the rubbish to the outside. And the corn of grain was heavy. It was weighty. And it stayed in the center right at the feet. Of the farmer or the man or woman who was sifting. Jesus says, Simon, Satan wants to do all that with you. But listen, you'll go through things, but I'll bring you through. Stay at my feet. That's for you this morning, sister. That's for you this morning, brother. Jesus says, you're going to go through something. Stay at my feet. Your weight, not chaff. You're mine. Step my feet. He says, "But I have prayed for you." First of all, he says, "Simon, Satan has desired to have you all to sift you sweet." And he turns to him, and then it goes singular, and he looks right into Simon Peter's eyes, eyeball to eyeball, and he says, "But I have prayed for thee. Why?" Would he just look him eye to eye and pray for Simon Peter? Why would Christ eyeball him? I'll tell you something, brothers and sisters, you know yourself at times, maybe even this morning, Christ is eyeballing you. He says, I'm speaking to you. You won't listen. Step my feet. I feel in the spirit to say that this morning. You know I don't do these things unless I really feel led to do that. He says stay at my feet. If you're going through something, stay at my feet. You know where Mary was found? The school of Mary is? Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mary and Martha. Martha was in coming about with much serving. And listen, I'll take us on board myself. Maybe I am cumbered about with much serving at times. I'll sit more at his feet. Step my feet. He eyeballs Peter and he says, Satan has desired to have you, Peter. Singular comes in. Satan has desired to have thee. He says, he may sift his meat. He says, Peter, but I have prayed for thee. Does that mean he wasn't praying for everyone else? No. But Peter needed a special measure of grace for what was going to happen. What was going to happen was Peter would deny him three times and the cock would crow and Peter would go outside when Christ was arrested and he would weep and weep as if he would never stop weeping. And he thought, I'll never come through this experience. His faith was in his boots. He had nothing left. He just decided, ah, I've had enough of this. Fall away from Christ. I've denied him. He'll never forgive me. He'll never say, I still love you. I'll fall away from him and just go on my own life and my own business and do my own thing. Well then if, Because I can't believe that Jesus would forgive me after I allowed him to take him to the cross. I should have fought. I should have done this. I should have done that. I should have done the other thing. Brothers and sisters, we're all full of we should have done. Every one of us. What if? What if this? What if that? But there's nothing we could have done. Peter would be full of that that night. What if? What if? What if? I'm sure you would have lived some things differently i would have i'm sure you would have changed your mind in different matters i'm sure you would have dealt with things differently with hindsight now looking back because i would have many things i mean many things you see you can't rewind the clock back but you can be forgiven and you are forgiven if you're in christ Peter, you're going to go through something, but I have prayed for thee. Me? What about all of us? Peter? What about all of us, Lord? Oh, I'm praying for them. I'm praying for you. You know why? Peter was impetuous. He he he, he vacillated. In other words, Peter was one foot there and he was one back. Then he was too forward. Then he, 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 was, he was too backward and going forward. Peter took the sword out and he smites off the Malchus, the servant of the high priest. He cuts his ear off and. You know, he's all gung-ho. Next thing, he's denying Christ. That was Peter's temperament. And Jesus says, listen, Peter, you need to sit at my feet. You need to learn of me, son. Peter, you're going to go through something. You are not going to like it. But I'm praying for you. And brothers and sisters, I try and remember as many people, I close my eyes even when I'm walking around that field or where I'm in the house, and I try and think of where everybody was sitting on Sunday morning or where they were sitting on Sunday night. I try and think of those who are ill. I try and think of those who are mourning. And I will forget sometimes. I, can't, I, I, I try as if I have a photograph of His now and I'll pray and I'll go across. If you have a problem, I enter in the prayer with you. And, you know, but sometimes I forget. But here's something you need to know this morning. No matter how you're feeling, he never forgets. He's always praying for you. His prayers is what makes the difference in our lives. But I've prayed for thee, listen, that thy faith fail not, and when, not if, when, thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. When you're converted, sure, Peter was converted. He followed Christ. The word conversion is when you have come through this circumstance, when you have come through this situation, when you've come through what, you've, what, you're, what you're going to go through, and when you get out the other side. It's like the disciples in the boat, get into the ship and go to the other side, and a great storm comes. Peter was getting into the ship there and then, and he was going to go across to the other side, but he couldn't see it, and he weeps outside, feels he can never be forgiven. The disciples in the boat are crying, we're going to sink. They couldn't have sank because Jesus said, get into the boat and go to the other side. They couldn't have sank. Impossible for them to sink because Christ said they wouldn't go to the other side. Peter, when you're converted, when you've come through it, strengthen your brethren. In other words, you will be able to empathize. Enter into their suffering. Encourage them along. Tell them how it goes. But show them the grace of God, the word of the Lord, and the Holy Spirit who will guide them through it. That's what Peter was told that night. And boy, when he entered into that, was Peter, was he delighted he was going through it? Absolutely not. Peter was learning the art of encouragement. That's what Peter was learning, the art of encouragement. Here's what I'm saying. I haven't even touched first. That's not in yet. We'll do it next week. Here's what I'm saying. We go through things and as I said, I go through many things and I go through things. People think the pastor sails along and floats and wafts to heaven in a handbasket as it were and there's no problems and he just takes it all on his shoulder. Of course I do. But anyway. <laughs> we all go through things, we've all been through things. So you and I, as the body of Christ, should be able to empathize one with another and enter into our own personalities and sufferings. And if you can't with someone comes along, you can come alongside of them and sympathize with them. Well, look next week, Paul says, he salutes them with a good salute. He tells them, I'm praying for you. He hits them a pat on the back to encourage them to go on and go up. And He says, look at your life before and look at it now. You know, when Peter came through, big Peter, you know what he called him? He called him, get in, he called him Simon. That was his old name, wasn't it? Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you to my safety as weak, but I've prayed for thee. And when the Lord converted, strengthen thy brethren. He called him Simon. That was his old name, because he changed it to Peter. Simon was a stone. Peter was a rock, not the rock, no, a rock. And he reverts back to a stone. He says, Listen, you're weak and you're frail. You're human. But I'll keep you. I'll pray for you. You'll be sifted as wheat, but all of you, sit at my feet. Sit at my feet. You know what's happening when you're going through what you're going through? When I go through it? It's called you're being schooled in the art of encouragement, it's learning. To be able to encourage those that will come behind you. To encourage those who will be able to be able to encourage those who are going through things that you've been through. And you're able to say, Listen, you're going to get through this. Let me tell you about the Lord who brought me through. Let me tell you what He's done. And you'll be able to apply the Word of God. God, give me a scripture. Will I tell you what it is? I remember one time I was in Dar Street, that's my finish. I was in Also, and I were going through a, a, it was a massive thing I'm not going there it won't be further going there anyway but we went through a big thing and it was a real big hurt and I remember I said I had enough I need to get away somewhere start life nearly all over again you know everything was going through the mind I had blood in my pillow with stress of sores that came in my head from the stress of it. Blood was on my pillow when I woke up in the morning and I said Alson, I just can't cope with this anymore. I wanted to get out of my church and never go back and I remember one time I was sitting reading all night and two verses came to me two different times. First one was reading the book of Ruth and I says Lord i am never come back and I want to go away here and there. I want to do I just can't stick us anymore. This is after a long time. Nearly two years of a trial. And the Lord spoke to me and says, stand fast by my maiden," as Boaz spoke to Ruth and glean not in any other field. Stand fast by my maidens. And I stayed there and God changed it like that. Spun it all around. And just on the last day when i went and was stayed there for such a long time, I says, God, your word, you've told me, you've quickened it. I know it's you. The Lord showed me. Very last chapter, chapter 16 of Romans, right down, I can't remember the verse offhand at the moment, it says, but God shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. And I kept saying, when, Lord? Today, next day, today, will be tonight, tomorrow, When's shortly? How long is shortly? How long could shortly be? And suddenly, like that, there was one other friend that I had told about it in Allison and used to keep going to me. Shortly. That was the code word. The sweat breaking on you. Shortly. The troubles. Shortly. And he did. He broke it. Turned it around. Crushed the serpent's head. And sure, the rest is history. I will do it for you know, I was learning the art of encouragement. See if I hadn't come through things I came through, I couldn't encourage some of you in ministry. I couldn't do it. I'm hoping I'm encouraging some of you this morning. The Lord bless you.